All right, our text this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. 4, verse 9. And it reads like this. Paul says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. There seems to be a problem, if we're honest. Uh, There seems to be sometimes a disconnect between how the Bible describes Christianity and what we see either in our own lives or in the culture around us. Um, You know, every every week we read these news stories um, in order to get a glimpse of what's going on out there, you know, and how it relates to us and how we relate to them. And, And as we do, we're seeing you know, week by week, that while the world is growing increasingly hostile toward Christianity, many Christians, especially here in the West, uh, are becoming less focused on their faith, less focused on the scriptures, and uh, less focused on living the Christian life as described in the Bible. We're seeing more pastors or church workers um, experiencing what people call burnout and calling it quits from the ministry. We're seeing the younger generation turn its back on the church and attempting to redefine uh, what it means to be a Christian altogether in ways that decrease the role of Scripture and increase the role of personal feeling. Um, and, and really, the, the situation in Philippi wasn't all that different. In fact, you know, uh, they had a much closer uh, and severe relationship with persecution than we experience here today as they were under Roman rule. But there was, there was difficulty for them socially. There were disagreements in the church. There were false teachings going around that they had to worry about. There were quarrels and pressures and economic fears and apathy. Um, All of those things that we sometimes identify in our culture, sadly, in our own lives from time to time. And so in the next verses, we're going to see later in chapter 4 that many Christians had quit giving to the work of the ministry and quit partnering with those who had been sent out uh, into the world. Many people were stumbling in their Christian faith. And so... Both what we see in our you know, uh, culture and our society today is the same that we see in Philippi there, that there was a gap between what had been preached to them and what they were living out day to day, or at least what they were realizing in their lives day to day. And so throughout this letter, the theme that we've seen from the Holy Spirit through Paul again and again is that the life God intends for his people is very different than what many Christians are experiencing Today And that's not what the Lord wants for us. He wants better for us. And Paul, knowing that in our imperfection we are prone to these setbacks, we're prone to things like disunity and discouragement and disagreement, he has repeatedly encouraged and strengthened us by saying, look, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't lose your confidence in who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life. Hold on to those things. Because Paul is the living example of the kind of peace and satisfaction and purpose that the Lord intends for Christians. You know, we look at him, the Bible says uh, several times, hey, look at, you know, Paul, for example, look at him and see that God intends that we be people who are just simply confounding to those in the world. Not almost the same as people in the world with, you know, a different, you know, uh, weekend habit. Not, you know, essentially the same mindset and essentially the same habits, but really completely different. We're we're called and God intends for us to be people who confound those who are in the world, those who belong to the kingdom of darkness. We're 
God intends for us to be people who can laugh happily as we give our money away, for example, uh, in, in the New Testament. People who can sing when we're chained up in a dungeon. People who can find excitement when we're beaten for the cause of Christ. Who can brush off criticism or hatred from others and, and just focus on our Lord. People whose faith is so strong that we could hear from the Lord and say to this mountain, uproot, and it would be done if it be his will. That's what we see God intending as we look at his word, as we look at his revelation of himself and of his plan for our lives there in the Bible. And so why is there a disconnect? Why is it that we so often miss out on all those things that Jesus said have already been given to us, things that already characterize us according to the Lord since we belong to God and have been made into new creations? Now, I think the answer is found in this letter and even in this verse where, as we read, Paul says, let's look at the first half real quick. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Paul was an apostle and he had a special office and authority given to him by God. Yet he is also given to us as an example of how the Christian life is meant to work out day to day in our lives. Unlike the Philippians, we do not have the privilege of knowing Paul personally. Um, must have been a remarkable thing to have the Apostle Paul teach you know, at your church or be the guy who planted your church or anything like that. I mean, he, he's, he's the Apostle Paul. We know him through his writings. Uh, we don't know him personally, but that's all right because we can still take up this challenge he gives us in verse 9 here. Even within the confines of the four chapters of this book, we can still take up this challenge he's giving. Uh, you know, for me, it was an interesting exercise to just go through the entire letter of the Philippians and just write down the various attitudes and habits and characteristics of Paul that I saw demonstrated just in the words of this letter. Um, it wasn't any sort of exhaustive thing, just kind of a casual reading and, and making quick bullet points of attitudes or you know, ideas or characteristics of the Christian life that I see demonstrated in him, that, I, that you see him preaching and talking about and demonstrating. You know, I filled a page of just quick bullet points of what we see in him, how he was filled with the Spirit, how he had such confidence in Christ, how he had boldness but also humility, his contentment but also his incredible and confident vision for what the Lord wanted to do, his love for believers, his trust in Jesus. And as I went through, again, not exhaustively, just you know, maybe in 15 minutes, as I went through, the list became bigger and bigger as I, you know, see how lovely a relationship with Jesus is when it is unhindered by my unwillingness. And to me, that's the key. Because if you go through and you read Philippians and you just try to list out those things which we have learned and heard and seen and, and uh, received from Paul in this letter, uh, you find very quickly that the attributes of Christianity aren't things that we could live up to on our own. It's not a list of things that you say, okay, well, after I, you know, attain these things, then I experience, you know, the filling of God that Paul's been talking about for four chapters. Um, yet those things, those characteristics are given to us by the Holy Spirit as the example of what God desires to do within each and every one of us. And so how did Paul get there? If Paul's supposed to be our example and we see all these incredible things in him and we see that there's no way I could do those things on my own, well, how did he get there? Uh, how we've learned, we've received, we've heard, and we've seen him on the pages of Scripture. We revere him for his life and his service to the Lord. I mean, you know, honestly, we're not to be respecters of persons, but to us, he's the apostle of apostles. I mean, he's, he's the guy, you know, he's kind of the, 
the definitive apostle and, and teacher for most of us when it comes to the New Testament. But how is it that he attained this level of contentment and satisfaction in the Lord that many of us feel we miss out on from time to time or are missing out on, you know, uh, 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 even right now? Based on scripture, I think the, the answer is very simple. We simply choose not to do it. We simply choose not to do the things that the Lord has set before us to do. Uh, doctrinally speaking, we have the ability to receive the fullness of Christ right now because of his power and his presence in our lives. Uh, there's nothing standing really between us and the Lord um, that he has put between us that says, okay, now you're a Christian and now you have to do A, B, and C in order to become this level of Christian. You know, that is a big difference between Christianity and certain other you know, uh, religions or belief systems like Scientology or Hinduism or these other things where it's like, okay, well, there is a higher understanding, whether you're a Buddhist or Scientologist or Hindu, there's a higher realm of existence, but you have to get there a certain way. You either have to buy your way in in Scientology or you have to karma your way in in some of these other beliefs. But doctrinally speaking, we have the ability to receive the fullness of Christ right now in this moment. Because God will never command us to do something that he does not also help us to accomplish. And he commands us, hey, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm commanding you to do that, God says. But he never commands us to do something that he doesn't also help us to accomplish. And so the reason for what, whatever shortcoming that we may feel in our life, or the reason between that gap between what we see demonstrated and exampled in the life of Paul and what we sometimes see in the culture around us or see within our own lives must be that we choose to draw back from it. We choose to settle for less than what God wants for us in this life. The fault can't lie with Christ and it can't lie with our environment. The fault must lie within and we should be honest about that so that we can move forward. Paul himself was guilty of this attribute at one point. Here's a section of Acts chapter 9. As Paul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembled, uh, so he, excuse me, trembling and stumbled and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so that was detailing his conversion. But it was an, it's an interesting uh, uh, reveal into the human heart. Paul was kicking against the goads of the Lord. He put up barriers between himself and the one true God who wanted to do something incredible with his life. And in that moment on the Damascus Road, God brought him to a place of decision. And, and, and he said, will you relinquish control of your life to me? Are you going to be the Lord or am I going to be the Lord? And when Paul relinquished control of himself to the God of love, when he laid down his life in submission, when he said, what do you want me to do? That's when he started on the path that led him to the life that we see all over the New Testament, that life that is so encouraging to us and you know so marvelous to us. What happens in our humanity, we'll get into a jam or we'll you know, want to receive something from God, an answer or a help or something. And the natural human perspective is, okay, what do I have to do to earn that from the Lord? What do I have to do so that the Lord has to pay it out to me? Uh, when Jesus said very much the opposite, he said, abide in me and you will bear fruit. 
If you want the things that I'm offering you, Jesus said, you don't climb a mountain to get them. You don't, you know, overcome hurdles to get them. You abide in me. That's what I want. I want you to be submitted to me and just be with me and to do the things I've set before you to do together with me as I uh, accomplish those things in your life, what I've commanded you to do, and then you will bear fruit, and then you'll see your life transformed. And so that's what we're called to. Called to. And that's the second half of our verse this morning. After all, it says, uh, again, verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, that This is the answer to our struggles and our fears and our shortcomings in the Christian life when we experience them. To understand that God still wants what he wanted all the way back in the Garden of Eden, which was to walk in with his people in the cool of the day, to be in relationship with them, to be with them. That's what God wants. Uh, he still wants it now. It's what he wanted then, uh, and he does not change. The Christian life you know, isn't like studying for a test, hoping that we do enough to pass the final exam. That's Islam. Islam is, hey, you, if you pile enough good deeds on the scales, you know, and hopefully you have one more good deed than you do evil deeds, you know, then you are admitted, you, you win admittance into paradise. But if you don't you know, theoretically study enough and pass that final exam, you, know, you can't receive eternal life. Um, that's not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is about embracing a God who has love for us and plans for us and help for us and saying, okay, yeah, I want what you want, so what do you want me to do? And so as I listed out those things which Paul demonstrated through this letter as he's encouraging us to do, I discovered very quickly that like the Old Testament law, they aren't things that I can attain on my own. Christ must do them in Christ will not do them in me if I'm not abiding in him. Spiritual fruit doesn't happen if you're separated from the vine. But I also discovered that many times these things that we see demonstrated in Paul are things that I actually resist in my own life. This is for me personally. So as I looked through and I saw what Paul is demonstrating and I thought, okay, yeah, I can't do those things on my own. Not only that, though, I know that in my natural heart, I resist those things. So I look and I see, okay, Paul, he says, hey, let's evangelize people. Let's share the gospel. And in my heart, I think, ooh, but Lord, I'm, I'm nervous about doing that. I'm, I'm afraid when I share my faith. It, it is an uncomfortable thing for me. Or I see Paul says, hey, be obedient to the Lord. I'm being obedient to the Lord to the point of death, just as Jesus was, and you need to be obedient as well. And I think, ooh, but Lord, I'm not really sure you understand what's happening in this situation in my life. And, and you know, I'm not really quite ready to, you know, take that leap. Or, you know, Paul says, hey, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And I think, ooh, but Lord, I'm, I'm really pretty awesome. I don't know if you knew that, you know. Or we see Paul say, hey, press on like I'm pressing on. And I think, oh, man, but Lord, I am discouraged. And you want me to press on in this, you know, particular relationship or ministry or whatever. And, you know, I don't know, I don't even know if, you know, this particular person even deserves my love and my, you know, my service. Paul says, hey, do all things without complaining. I'm, in, the, I'm in, you know, in prison right now, and I'm not complaining. That's an example for you. And I think, yeah, but Lord, I like complaining. I like complaining about things. And so as I looked at this list, I saw how in my own life, my flesh builds up a resistance against these things actively. 
these things that Jesus wants to accomplish, this fruit that the Lord wants to bring, this transformation, I saw that if I take an honest look within, I'm trying to hold on to my resentment towards my enemies. I'm trying to be selfish and restrain myself from being more sacrificial. That's what my flesh is doing. And Paul talks a lot about this in Romans. We've studied this before. You know, uh, I set my mind more on earthly things than heavenly things. And, and if I kick against that loving direction of Jesus and that loving example that we see in the scriptures, then I'm always going to miss out on the incredible blessings and transformation that he's prepared for me. And so God comes to me and he comes to you as his beloved children and he says, look, I want to build in your life, for example, a loving unity with other believers. That's what I want to do. Do you want that? And then we say, yeah, of course, Lord. Of course we want that. Yes, and then the Lord says, okay, give me your pride then. Give me your reputation then. Give me control over your interests and I will do that. If you don't you know, care about your pride being hurt or you know, your reputation, then I will do that in your life. And now I'm at the place of decision. Now I'm at the place where I've received this direction and this calling from the Lord and now I get to decide. In my flesh, I think, well, yeah, I'll be happy to live in unity with others when they recognize my rights and they apologize for anything that they've done to me and when they benefit me and meet my standard of whatever. And, uh, and there, I've put a barrier up between my heart and God's transforming. We say, well, God, you can transform me as long as the following requirements are met for me. And we see this happen a lot on the pages of Scripture. The easy one, of course, is Jonah. I mean, he's the great example to us. Uh, we even saw a few weeks ago on Sunday mornings with Joab. Uh, we know what the will of the Lord is as Christians. We know that he is a God of grace and compassion. And then we sometimes choose to go the other way because we have an agenda that we want accomplished. Uh, we say, well, Lord, well, you can have control over that situation once I've got what's mine and once I've done what I want to do. Now, we see it in the New Testament as well. We see the multitudes hearing Jesus teach but then turning away. They go home. And they allow that seed to be wasted. Think of how many thousands of people heard Jesus, the Son of God, teach. You know, and he taught them in parables, it says. And then they said, yeah, that's nice. I don't even care what that's about. And just went home and went on their way. Uh, and it still happens today in our own lives. All around us, we can see Christians, whether it's in the news or in our personal lives, we see Christians settling for less than what God wants for them. God wants better for us than what many Christians are settling for. People who are settling for a life that is characterized simply by a standard of morality that is somewhat better than the world, but actually lacking the kind of peace and expectation and vision and compassion and joy and purpose that Christians are called to receive. The Lord says, look, you need to receive these things as my children. And so many Christians are like, well, you know, I'm happy to have a, a, a morality that's slightly better, but... You know, that's good enough for me. Uh, we see that Christians have settled for a life that views relationship with God as a get-out-of-hell-free card without much, if any, transformation. Uh, now, the Bible calls that kind of mentality being lukewarm, and that's a, a, a rough thing to think about um, when it comes to Scripture. And so Paul pleads with us in this letter to not settle for that kind of life where we've put up barriers between what God wants to do and our hearts. He describes to us a personal God who seeks to walk with us on the road of life to fill us up as we go. We've learned and we've received and we've heard from him that God intends a heavenly life for us. Even on this side of eternity, that's what he intends. And then we've seen in him that it actually works. You look at Paul and you say, man, this actually 
works, that even in the worst of circumstances, in, in, as a prisoner of Rome or in the very fires of Babylon, a Christian can be full of peace, uh, can be so powerful, so greatly satisfied and unobstructed by the cares or pressures of the world. That's what our faith is meant for. And so our part is to learn, to receive, to hear, to see, and then most importantly to do, to obey the Lord all the way, to love God and abide in him, to choose to do what we're called to do. And so we're called to love God, not ourselves. We're called to love others and serve others, not be served. We're called to rely on the Lord, not on our money, not on our economy, not on our society, not on anything else but Jesus Christ. We're called to focus on heaven and the soon coming of the Lord. We're called to stop complaining. We're called to not settle for less than the life that God wants for us. And we are then most uh, wonderfully able to do those things. God will come in if we allow him in. He is knocking on the corners of our hearts. And he's asking for our lives so that he can do those things that he wants to do, yet sometimes seem to elude us. But if we say, Lord, you can have three corners of my heart, but not the fourth, then we are settling for a Christianity that is not complete. We're settling for a spiritual mediocrity. We're settling for less than our gracious God has set aside for us. And we are actually putting a barrier between our hearts and our Jesus. And so we've learned God's word, and we're going to continue to do so. We've received God's Holy Spirit and the gifts that he's distributed to us as his people. We've heard the call of God on our lives. We've seen the power of Christ lived out through his people all over the world for thousands of years. And now it's time to do. And so I do encourage us to take a few minutes today or this week to write out what you've seen in Paul throughout this letter. Little bullet points of what God intends for his people demonstrated by this apostle then look within yourself and evaluate where you're at with those things. When I did, I found some startling things. I was like, yeah, oh yeah, I, I'm in my flesh, I don't want to do that. I need to take care of that. Whether you've built up barriers between your heart and God's transformation, we need to discover that. And then remember that the God of peace is with you, waiting to transform and overflow you, and then choose to do what the Lord asks you to do. Don't settle for lukewarm Christianity. Walk with Jesus in the garden of your life today and see him do in you what he's wanted to do since before the world was formed. Amen? All right.